welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know, we say like a lot. It's kind of the point. Because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl in the Gov, the podcast. Happy Wednesday. We have another fresh up coming for everyone today. Woo! So excited. It's going to be a good one. No, it really is. And as like the teaser, the teaser du jour, we're talking about Mary-Kate and Ashley today. They are yeah, a that's staple. It. That's it. It's just, it's a debrief <laughs> about like how much we're obsessed. We love. No, you guys will see our guests got into, I don't want to ruin the whole story. No, no, we can't ruin it. No. Just say no, no, Mary Kate no. Nashley. It's Mary Kate Nashley episode. And what is the Mary Kate Nashley politics crossover? Like you're just gonna have to listen to find out. So you know what I actually think it's super, super interesting. Très interessant. That's the only French phrase that I think I still have with me from my middle school days. But you know how I've said that there's like such a pipeline connection between like Miss America and like pageants and politics, like women getting into politics. Mm-hmm. I feel like we keep uncovering these interesting little career pipeline moments and the Mary Kay and Ashley one, which again, we'll get into, you'll, you guys will see. I feel like it's just another one. And I'm so curious to learn if any of our governors also were inspired to get into politics because of Mary Kay and Ashley. I mean, that's the, uh, that's the question of the day, truly. Yeah. And let us know. Again, you'll, you'll find out why, truly shortly but today is the as we're recording Mm. is the new hampshire primary it's a big one just because we lost one one soldier the other day ron DeSantis is out and it's nikki haley and donald trump and this is like nikki haley's last breath like i have to make it through please air it um so as we know, I just, I can't read. I'm not literate. The fact that there is no why in the Haley in the middle is so mean and so cruel. It's like, no, it's Hallie. Like it's, it's H-A-L. Like, I can't. What do you think about, so do you think Hallie, H-A-L-L-I-E is Hallie? Yeah. Okay. I also think that's Hallie. I'm just saying, where's the why? Somebody give me a why. Like, this is Wheel of Fortune, but the why on the board. Oh, you like H-A-Y-L-E-Y? For Haley. Also H-A-I-L-E-Y. Haley. You know, I can't even visualize what that looks like, but... It's how Haley Bieber spells it. Haley Bieber. (laughs) I just said that. (laughs) Anyways. Yeah, moving on. Also, speaking of, like, mispronunciations of names... I wonder if she's just like given up the way the Kelsey brothers have. Did you see this? How apparently Travis Kelsey, his name is Kels. It's not Kelsey, but he's just like the whole family just like gave up. They're like, whatever. It is what it is. (laughs) Okay. I didn't see that, but I did watch the Lautner interview. The Lautner? Lautner? The Taylor Lautner. I did watch that interview and they talked about like the name and how he just never corrected anyone. And he even just like... That's how people think it is. So he just introduces himself at this point with that. And look, here I am. I still can't even get it. It just... Wait, so he's saying it's Lautner? It's Lautner. Oh, and everyone mm-hmm. says Lautner. 
Interesting. Well, you learn something new every single day. But anyways, back to the New Hampshire primary. Yeah, look, I, while I am glad to see Ron DeSantis exit the presidential end of things, I will be sad that it, you know, kind of brings to a close a lot of fun jokes. Well, one thing that can't be missed is Gavin Newsom's prediction that this was going to happen all along, where he was like, one thing I know or whatever is that neither of us are going to be the nominee for for president. Yep. And he was right in terms of Ron DeSantis. You never know on his side still, but nonetheless, we won't go there. Yeah, let's we'll table that for another day and another deep dive. <laughs> I have so many thoughts there. Again, that could be, you know what, guys, we will do that. We will do a deep dive on that brain thought thing, notion, whatever you call those things that run through your brain when we do our next solo episode. That'll be like on the our thoughts on the 2024 nominee. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, potentially. We'll see. I don't know. Put it. Yeah. You know what? This is on the list of maybes, whatever. Wait, speaking of list. Sorry if to something take a happens, if something crazy happens, then we will have to have an emergency solo episode to exactly. dissect. Yeah. Not. I just, I'm done. That's it. Okay. I don't want to yep. say anything further. <laughs> <laughs> we are cutting Maddie off. Thank you very much. We talked about hypotheticals say- here. Oh, God. If there's anything I want to, like, talk about hypotheticals about, it's, like, fashion. But we're going to leave that to the side as well. We also – oh, my gosh. So many things to say. This is why I ended up in podcasting. I do see this career path trajectory. makes a lot more sense now. Anyways, two things. One, if anyone is looking for a little fashion styling situation, you're, like, looking for a job in the political space and you have no idea what – you need to have in your closet or you already work in the political space and you want to level up your closet and whatnot, Hamden will styling. So you can find that in our last hot mic newsletter. I'll put it in this week's too. So FYI on that. Samantha, the stylist. Who would have thunk? Everyone. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> I would I would have thunk it, actually. Indeed, I would. But I was going to say, like, this is like peanut butter and jelly. It's like the most logical situation that's ever happened. It is. It really is. I know. That but was like, honestly, I do what I want to. I do want to save everybody from one piece of advice okay. that you will likely give, which is shoe wear and how take Samantha's shoe wear choices with a grain of salt because she chooses Carrie Bradshaw high fashion over any slice of comfort, which if you're going to work on the hill all day, like you probably want to add some comfort into your Style you choices. know what? To just to just let you know, I did on the intake form put a question about shoe height. Okay. Mm-hmm. May the record show. And can you uh, excuse me? Mm. Can you add a question about people's comfort preferences in terms of their style choices? Because I think that should decide who styles them near you. <laughs> wait, literally we actually that'd be so fun i don't like no oh i guess i don't know I'll, i could figure it out is doing a style quiz like are you more of a maddie or are you more of a sammy and then it like puts you in like whatever direction i just love a good i quiz. think the comfort question is really the main the main <laughs> question there yeah so 
anyways go check it out folks um wait yeah okay so this is the other thing i was gonna say so i started doing this thing on our tiktok occasionally i think i think i started putting it on instagram where it's kind of a running list of fever dreams that are happening just like political moments are total fever dreams and i did like a 2023 recap i'd done one fall i fell off the bandwagon whatever that phrase is got back on it and there was one the last one there is a state rep in oklahoma republican who is so concerned about furries and kids using a litter box at school this like meth he introduced a bill that would not only ban furries from kids from schools and activities but if they were to present themselves they're like people that i think i think nobody quote me on this bible is like they dress up like a particular animal and they like identify as the animal Okay. And there was this myth, like conspiracy theory going around last year, I think year before, that like everyone was like turning into furries and that kids were like litter, like using litter boxes to go to the bathroom at schools. And that like this is Sorry, like... that just really unlocked a memory for me. <laughs> so scared. Do tell. Do go on. I don't remember much from my life, period. But this memory is one that I remember I was pretending to be a dog one day. And we my it was my mom and my sister and we were like going to this park and I was like pretending to be a dog that day and when we get to the park like there's this big sign that said no dogs allowed <laughs> my, mom, <laughs> my mom and my sister were like okay bye sorry you can't come and I was like fuck <laughs> and then I stopped being a dog so I just I don't know that was just a funny okay well like anecdote. I just want to let you know that like if you had done that and this bill had been passed and your <laughs> mom was not able to come pick you up from school. That animal control would be involved. Yeah. Okay. So that's where we are. We are in today's political world. That's where we are. Like fuck inflation and reproductive rights. You know, like let's focus on putting kids into animal control. Smart. Genius. Genius. Oh, my God. Maybe just, like, take them to a park that says no dogs allowed. And be like, is this what you want for your life? Do you think your mom did that on purpose? And was like, yeah. <laughs> like She's taking me to, like, all of my favorite places and be like, there's no dogs allowed here. Like, what do you, what do you, <laughs> you can choose. Who do you want to be? Honestly, I would have chosen a dog. What a life. I just feel sorry for all of that man's constituents. Is what I have to wrap that conversation up with. I agree. I definitely agree. Yeah. What a time. What a time to be alive. Okay, are we gonna get into this episode? I think I think it's time. It's time. I kind of feel like we need a drum roll, but my arm's really comfortable, so I don't feel like, you know. Mm-hmm. Sure. One of those situations. Anyways, we already teased it a little bit. Obviously, we are talking about the beloved Mary Kate Nashley, which side note before I continue on this train. Right after we hopped off recording the interview portion of this episode, I popped onto Instagram and the first story in my feed was about Mary-Kate Ashley's style. And I was like, this is literally listening, bringing all the things together. So just putting that out there. Regardless, what we were talking about today is State Department and diplomacy and global youth issues with special envoy Abby Finkenauer. So we are going a little international today. 
We're like, we're not getting on a Boeing plane to do it, though. So we're keeping the doors attached to the to the transportation, as in, like, we didn't nice. leave our houses. I, I tried. I really tried. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I winged it, as they would say. Wow. It's getting really punny here. <laughs> I, like, this is why I'm an only child. I like, crack myself up all day. Anyways, moving on. Without further ado, here is Special Envoy Think an Hour. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. If you work in the political space, listen up. Here at Girl on the Gov, we have built our whole business around effectively marketing political messaging through digital media. And we want to help you do the same. We have a full digital media consulting menu these days tailored specifically to the political space. Number one, hashtag viral. It is our paid social media newsletter that comes straight to your inbox every Tuesday. If you've ever thought uh, this meeting could have been an email, this newsletter is for you. We give basics to best practices, platform updates, and the content ideas you need to go hashtag viral. And for offering number two, if you want some one-on-one face-to-face attention, we offer that too. We provide social media audits and consulting to help you achieve the conversions and engagement you've been hoping for from your social media content. And number three, in our newest edition, Podcast Consulting, we are the minds behind this gorgeous political podcast for young voters that we've been running for two and a half years now. So we know a thing or two about how not only to get a podcast off the ground, but how to grow an audience. We provide podcast consulting for anyone trying to get their podcast started or provide podcast audits for those who have started their pod but want to see it take off. Podcasting is a great new in-house digital media marketing tool and a great way for any candidate elected or org to amplify their work and their voice. So head to girlinthegov.com slash consulting to learn more about our services and to sign up for hashtag viral to start slaying the beast that is digital media. Skeptical about custom beauty? I get it. My feed is flooded with customized this and personalized that, all promising to fix my split ends and my dry skin and all of the things. But when pros says custom, they actually mean it. It's no gimmick. And your formula literally couldn't exist without you. Each and every bottle of pros custom hair care and skin care is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals, and they get personal. Pros covers everything from diet, exercise, and stress levels to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. They even asked me about, you know, where I live, the water hardiness that I have coming from my shower, UV index, all of the things. Next, they recommended a full routine of truly personalized products, which were only produced after I placed my order. Nothing pre-mixed, nothing off the shelf. And I know from experience, one-of-a-kind formulas equal one-in-a-million results. Since I switched to pros, I've noticed that my hair is definitely fuller. I have thinner hair that just like will not hold a curl or stay voluminous. And ever since using pros, that has changed. But don't just take my word for it. In a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. 
Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering an exclusive trial offer. So you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash girlandgov. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash G-I-R-L-A-N-D-G-O-V for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash girlandgov. We are so excited because we're going international today. We have Abby Finkenauer, who is the special envoy for global youth issues on the show today. And we're going in so many different directions. We're talking about the State Department. That's part of the plan. We're also talking about how you got into politics, which started at age 28 into 29, being elected to Congress. Can you tell us a little bit about getting elected to Congress so young, like what that was like for you. Give us the tea on all the things being young in politics. Yeah. So, okay. First of all, I I didn't just wake up one day and decide I was going to run for Congress, although you should, and that's great. (laughs) But that wasn't necessarily my journey. I actually got elected the first time when I was 25 to the state house. So I was 24 years old when I decided to run for the Iowa house. And part of that was because I had actually worked in the Iowa house as a legislative assistant. And I remember being there and realizing that Most of the young people in the room were legislative assistants, clerks, or pages. And that the folks who were making the laws that were going to impact my life um, Mm -hmm. didn't have a great understanding of what my life was like. And so I also started kind of looking around and realizing, oh, gosh, okay. So a lot of my friends that I went to high school with, they were leaving. They weren't staying in the town that I grew up in. Some of them were going off to college and then not coming back or had to leave to find better paying jobs to pay off their student loans like I had. And so I thought, well, okay, I know the policy. I know this place and I'm just going to go for it. (laughs) And and I did. And I, you know, I always tell young people that although there's a lot that you face when you're young and you're running for office, people think like, what could you possibly know? And how could, you know, you be able to do this? At the same time, it's sort of a superpower because when you're young, I mean, you could win, you could lose, your life could go one or the other, but that's okay. You have that ability and that chance to make a difference and and do your best. And it's one of those things you'll never regret doing. Uh, I ended up winning that race. I was in the state house for four years. And then it was post-2016 when I was looking around again going, oh my gosh, the federal level wasn't quite representing my values and how I grew up and the folks that I really cared about. And so I was 28 when I decided to run for Congress. And I'll tell you, like, on paper, what I was trying to do wasn't just uh, improbable. It actually looked like it was impossible because in the history of the United States, we had never, ever elected a congresswoman in her 20s before. But then also Iowa and Mississippi were the only two states in the entire country who had never elected a congresswoman before. And so there are a lot of reasons of why it probably shouldn't have happened, why I, you know, could have said, like, this isn't going to happen. But it just felt like the right thing to do. And so I did it. And I was lucky to get to serve in the U.S. House. That's such an incredible story. And hopefully one that inspires others because we're always pushing people to 
consider a run for office, even if it seems so out of the realm of possibility. I think that's such a great, great message. Well, tell us a bit more about, you know, your role in Congress and really what what was the most exciting piece? Was there like a piece of legislation you're most proud of? Give us the rundown there. Yeah. So I, you know, like, look, my time in Congress was interesting. (laughs) I got sworn in in the middle of a government shutdown. Right. But even within that, when the first two weeks I got to work and passed my first bill because it was important to just get things done. And but beyond that, right, like there were two impeachments, COVID and so many, so many things were going on during that time. And it was, to be honest with you, a really difficult time. Obviously, Mm -hmm. we all know that all around the globe, everything that was happening. But yeah, I tried to just do what I could do within the space that I was in. And I would say the most, my most favorite thing was also probably the scariest thing that I did. And that was actually helping double the funding for endometriosis research. So endometriosis is a condition that affects one in nine women around the globe. What we're finding, though, is like the more that there's awareness about what endometriosis is, that number keeps getting higher and higher. But it's actually something I have. And it's when basically like the lining of your ovaries and like basically like goes outside and can attach to different things. It's just like one part of it and then can cause pain and things like that. So I I have it. And one day I was about to fly home and getting back to Iowa was always an adventure. I think I spent about 15, 16 hours a week on planes or at an airport. And so one day I was trying to fly home and I was supposed to be stuck in Charlotte for a while because things were getting delayed. And I was in so much pain. I was like doubled over in my bed trying to stretch it out, which if you have endo, you know exactly what I'm talking about, that like vice grip pain. And I was so frustrated and so annoyed because, you know, I just was like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And so I remember I just started Googling hysterectomies and endometriosis because I was like, just take everything. I don't want to even yeah. deal with this. What I came to find out is like, that's not always the way you deal with it. In fact, there's so many other ways. But I also found the Endometriosis Foundation of America's website. And I remember seeing on their website all of these stats. And the first stat I saw was the one in nine women around the globe have it. And I went, oh, well, okay, so I'm not alone here. And the second stat I saw was that it was at the bottom of funding from the National Institute of Health. And so I thought, well, that's terrible. And someone should change that. And I really, well, I guess I'm in Congress. Maybe <laughs> I should. And so I decided to stand on the floor of the U.S. House and talk about my ovaries. And it was scary. It was, you know, uncomfortable. I know my district probably would have preferred me to stick to roads and bridges. And trust me, I talked a lot about roads and bridges. <laughs> but this was important and it was so much more beyond, it was beyond me, it was beyond my district. It was just one of those things where I realized like this has got to be talked about. And it's also, by the way, why we need more young people running for office because you come in with different experiences and we need you to get vulnerable and share those tough stories. Totally. I think it's interesting because we were talking about the other day, like Flotus has like a new initiative for closing the women's health gap and like When I saw that announcement, I like literally jumped for joy because 
there, I can't tell you how many times I've been to the doctor or something where I'm like, this, something's wrong. Like, let me describe this pain to you. And they're like, we don't disagree with you that like something is wrong, but like, there's no research. Like, I can't medically give you a solution because there's not enough research for me to tell you something. Like, yeah. You know, it's bad when like your doctor's telling you to be like, well, I mean, I can only point you to woo woo. Like, take a guess. Exactly. It's so frustrating. And so I I really commend you for, you know, taking to the floor and like bringing like awareness to an issue that so many women face and deal with. And, you know, to your point, it's like if we're not there and we're not at the table talking about these issues and even just like making sure people are aware of them existing, like how can we change them? So I think that really, you know, blends into also just the conversation of youth and talking about young people's issues and your a special envoy, very, you know, looped into that, you know, that is your focus. But for those that might not know exactly like what your role does, how it operates, can you give us the lay of the land there? Yeah. So I'm the special envoy for global youth issues at the U.S. Department of State. So basically, that means I am the U.S.'s principal representative when it comes to youth issues around the globe. And so basically, when it comes to programming, events, that type of stuff that are focused on young people or different leadership programs. I engage in those types of ways. So I represent the U.S. in that space. But it's also really interesting because I do get to talk about things that, you know, haven't really been discussed before at the Department of State. Like, for example, I just talked about endometriosis. It's interesting because that affects so many young women around the globe as well. And if you're not talking about all of the different issues, right, you're really you're you're missing people. And we've got to be able to break down barriers barriers to so many different things. And it's not just like one issue that young people care about, right? They care about so many things. And the other thing that I work on within the office is making sure we're making space for young people to actually be heard and not just there to check a box and say, oh, we we heard from one 24-year-old. So, (laughs) okay, we heard from young people today. It can't be that. It's got to be more than that. And so I also kind of push the department to do more when it comes to listening to young people and then also work with even civil society outside organizations on those as well. And then focus on getting young people to think about um, being engaged in policymaking space and all of the things. So it's one of the best things I've ever done. I've gotten to do a lot of cool things in my career, but I will say this is the honor of a lifetime to get to do this work. And it's been inspiring every single day. Yeah, that's super, super inspiring. I'm sure it's super fulfilling as well. Um, Curious too, if we can like even run it back to understanding also what like the State Department is and does. I think it's something we hear a lot, but maybe people don't fully understand like what's in its jurisdiction. So can you kind of break that down for us too? Yeah, so the State Department is a federal agency. And so it's also unique in the sense that it is that the footprint is large in the sense that it's not just here obviously in washington dc um the state department is all around the globe and when people think about the state department 
I think typically they do think like ambassadors and embassies, right? Which is a big piece of it, right? So there are embassies and as I came to find out, they call them posts all around the globe. And, you know, we have ambassadors that serve at those posts and then foreign service officers who work at those posts who are building relationships with other countries and then also working with Americans who also happen to be abroad. I mean, Things like, and again, this is really what people would think when it comes to State Department, like your passports, right? Your visas, that type of stuff. That's all part of it. But then it's also so much more the diplomacy piece, which is where I really work in. But then there's things like the State Department working on uh, intellectual property or the State Department working in peace and security or climate or just so many different aspects. And so it is a very large organization in the sense that it touches so many different things, but it is one of the most important things that the U.S. government does because those relationships, diplomacy is just so, 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 so important. Um, And honestly, um, as we know right now, just absolutely extraordinarily important and needs to, we need more young Americans to also want to go into that space. Totally. Well, I also highly recommend everyone reading like all of Madeline Albright's books because I've been obsessed recently and gone down that rabbit hole like nobody's business. So actually, when we were scheduling this interview, I was like, wow, like the stars align. Like I like threw that in the universe and then here we are. So I just obsessed. think it's such an interesting piece of the political sphere and diplomacy in general and all of those relationships. And I'm curious, like from your end, like especially because I heard a little rumor that Mary-Kate and Ashley have a little something to do with how you view diplomacy and how you got into it. I I need to hear the story. Can you tell us? Okay, so this is funny. I've actually never shared this publicly before. And because I thought it was so unique to me, and then I heard from my deputy special envoy who's in civil service at the State Department, she's been State Department for about 10 years, that she had a similar story. And I thought, Oh, gosh. Okay, maybe this is not so unique. But anyway, when I was growing up, so I'm 35. I just turned 35. We count youth, by the way, as 15 to 35. So I turn into a pumpkin next year. (laughs) I'm still technically Um, But anyway, so growing up, my deputy is the same age as I am. And Mary Kay and Ashley were huge, right? The movies, all the things. And I think I was in sixth grade when Passport to Paris came out. Which My was favorite. Classic. Yeah, they go over to France and their grandfather is the U.S. ambassador to France. And so mm-hmm. they go and they visit him and then they advocate for like water quality and all this stuff. And I was like, this is what an embassy is? This is Goals. that I had mm-hmm. never even like thought of diplomacy. I mean, I grew up in a town with more cows than people and like in the middle of, you know, rural Iowa. And so... This was just eye-opening to me that this even existed. And I begged my parents at 10 years old for two things. One, a subscription to Newsweek. And (laughs) the second, um, French lessons, which I took for like one year and I don't speak French. But (laughs) but anyway, (laughs) it's really funny because my deputy said, we were talking about this one day and she goes, oh my gosh, they had the movie Winning London where they were at the UN and Model UN and all this stuff. And she goes, that's, part of how she even knew Model UN existed and then got involved and ended up working at the State Department. So 
Hats so, off to Kate and Ashley. That's guys. incredible. So shout out to Mary Kate and Ashley for just like changing hearts and minds everywhere and getting women into diplomacy. Like, yeah. Honestly, incredible. like clip this. They got to know. We have got to get this this news to them. Like yeah, they're not just fashion so icons. Funny? They're diplomacy icons. Yeah. I mean, because think about it. Like if you had never had been exposed to that before, you went to a high school where Model UN wasn't a thing or even like you didn't know anybody in foreign service because honestly, as I was growing up, like who did unless you were related to somebody who was in it? Like, I didn't even know that was even a possibility or a thing. And then just getting that kind of exposure when you're young at 10 years old, right? 10, 11 years old, Mm -hmm. it can just shift almost everything that you're interested in. Totally. Media matters, people. Media matters. Making me think, though, my favorite is Billboard Dad. And I'm like trying to think of like what that influenced for me. And I'm not sure. <laughs> marketing. Marketing. Oh, okay. marketing. There we are. There we go. PR. She, she yeah. ended up in PR. Yeah. That okay, makes sense. True. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, getting back to the State Department and some of these, just the civic education bucket, I'm really curious like how your role and other roles in the State Department get is elected, appointed. Can you kind of break that down? And I also have a question too. Is the presidential administration involved in terms of like appointments, overall goals of the State Department, overall goals of maybe like your department within it? Can you kind of break that down for us? Yeah, that's such a good question. So I keep talking about my deputy, right? Alex Nemeth. She is awesome. So she is civil service. So she was not elected into the role, but went through a process. She was actually an intern before she got into the role, that type of thing. And so that was her pathway. And then my pathway was, you know, I ended up going into politics, basically, and and public service through the state house and then Congress. And I've known President Biden, I think, since I was like 18 years old. I was because Iowa and the caucuses. Iowa. Oops. Iowa. <laughs> yes. Rest in peace, the Democratic caucuses in Iowa. But, yeah. this, but they were there when I was 18. And this was back when like, so we had President Obama was running, so then Senator Obama, then Senator Clinton was running, and everyone was working for those two. And then I remember President Biden coming into the, oh, there was basically like a meeting of these representatives where he was, you know, giving a speech about why he was running all this stuff. It was really funny because I was like, oh, gosh, this guy from Scranton, Pennsylvania, he like gets my life because my dad was a pipe fitter and all of these different things. And I was, you know, really surprised just how how much I connected. And so I, I ended up working on that presidential campaign. Little did I know at that time that he'd end up vice president and president. But I've known him for a long time. And when I sadly lost my reelection in 2020, I remember him calling and wanting me to take on this role. And I truly was like, are you serious? State Department? Like what? Like I've barely been out of the country. Right. Like, how does this make sense? Because a lot of Iowans, it's they work at, you know, they go to USDA where Secretary Vilsack used to be the governor of Iowa is. And like, how does this make sense? And the thing that both he talked about and then are now undersecretary of public diplomacy that I work really closely with, she talked about is the fact that one of the biggest things that's important to him is that 
more young people in the U.S., but also around the globe, see themselves in the policymaking space because we need them. And mm -hmm. um, people always forget he ran for um, there. He was in the U.S. Senate um, at the age of 29, um, same age I was when I got elected to Congress. And um, it was just really, really, really important that we were starting to, again, kind of bring that next generation in. And so with my story and my background, they thought it would be a good fit. And at first, again, I had no idea what I was really getting into. And it has been extraordinary. But that's how it really sort of worked with getting asked by the president to do it. And then that's basically how appointments work. They are based on the presidential administration. And then, you know, different administrations then have different envoys, different special representatives, different appointees. So, Got it. And sense. I'm like curious too, like behind the scenes of like behind like the special envoys, like are those people appointed or are they like civil service, foreign service? Like yeah. how does that work? No, so it depends, right? So the State Department is a mix of folks who are in civil service, like my deputy, and then foreign service as well. And those are the folks who typically work overseas at different embassies or posts for about two to three years and then rotate to different areas, but then also sometimes come back to the State Department, the main State Department as well, and rotate back here and work on various issues and topics. And so like for my office, we've got Alex who's civil service, but then we've got Megha who is an appointee. And she had worked at the White House, actually, in the press area. So and then we've got our great staff assistant, Christina. So she, that it's actually an all women office, um, which I, I didn't like set out intending to happen, but it did. And it's really <laughs> great fun. <laughs> so anyway, it yeah. just kind of depends. Every bureau, every office is really made up of a mix of folks from different backgrounds. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, Let's get into some global youth issues. I think that was a great background on the role and understanding it, but I'm really curious kind of what the work itself is looking like in this role for you and what are some of the most critical youth issues globally you guys are currently working to address? Well, the reality is part of why this is such an extraordinary opportunity and something that I, I'm just honored to get to work in is literally every issue is a youth issue. That's just yep. the reality of it. It's not just climate change. It's mm -hmm. not just education. It's economic opportunity. It's peace and security. It is, there's just so many things. And so again, instead of our office creating policy and that type of stuff around all of those issues, what we really do is advocate to uplift the voices of young people on those issues, if that makes sense. And so every issue is a youth issue, but it can't be, but it's not being heard unless we are actually, again, lifting up those young people to be in those spaces where decisions on climate are being made, where decisions on peace and security are being made, where decisions on economic opportunity are being made. And so that's a lot of what we do. Like, for example, I was at COP recently and part of what we were doing um, was working with uh, with American, young Americans who were there advocating for different changes, that type of thing. But then also bringing in some of our young people who've been part of our leadership programs from all around the globe and hearing them as well and making sure leaders were actually 
hearing their perspectives and their wants and needs. And again, in, in a like actual meaningful way versus just mm-hmm. checking a box. So that's, that's the reality. And the other piece I would say that we're really focused on is the civic engagement and getting young people to see themselves in that policymaking space, because that was what uh, I was really asked to do, to really focus on that area. But what I didn't realize as I got into this role and something I didn't know I'd focus on so much was that if we're going to be talking about civic engagement and we're going to try to get young people to you know, be involved, run for office, use their voice. We also better be talking about online harassment and extremism that so many, and in particular, young women and underrepresented groups are facing not just here in the United States, but all around the globe. And it's something that I dealt with when I was running for in office. And it's something that has come up in literally every single country I have been in. And so mm-hmm. that has been an issue area that our office has really dove into, going to continue through this next year as well. And again, could it be more important because we can't hear mm-hmm. their voices on all of these issues unless they feel safe sharing right. their voice. Totally. Definitely. Like that's something we we see a lot. We definitely talk about it a lot too. Actually, in our episode that just dropped this week, that was something that we talked about with elected officials just being in such a unique experience or spot in which like the harassment that they face, like you can't just talk about that with like your regular friends. Like there's no way to sort of like have that relatability. It's just so intense. It's so wild. It's so next level. And obviously, you know, we're seeing here in the U.S., but I'm curious from sort of a global perspective, what that looks like outside of the United States, you know, like how, how does that, you know, happen? And like, what are like the, the levels of it? Yeah, honestly, it's a lot more similar than you'd think. I mean, that, again, was one of the biggest surprises for me. I didn't come into this role like expecting this to come up everywhere. But every time I was in a room and encouraging young people to run for office, one of the first questions I got, and usually from a young woman, was about, but what about feeling safe? And what about the attacks and the disgusting things? And I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, the stuff that I dealt with that I almost like didn't. Honestly, after after in the U.S. House and then also running for U.S. Senate, I didn't know if I'd ever do anything public ever again because of how freaking disgusting it was. The death threats, the the sexualized violence. And that is so common. It is everywhere i mean it's happening in luxembourg which i always joke is like kind of chill right it's happening (laughs) in luxembourg it's happening in australia it's happening in south africa it's happening in albania it's happening in cambodia i mean everywhere where either women or underrepresented groups are running for office or not even just running for office just raising their voice about something that they care about in a public way the hate yeah. and again that sexualized violence is coming their way and we now sadly even have to have a term for it and it's um technology facilitated gender-based violence and it is everywhere and it is something that i am trying to shout from the rooftops and anyone who will listen anytime we're doing any kind of civic engagement work or i'm talking to 
outside groups who are doing that work. I keep saying you can keep putting all the resources and money you want into great leadership programming. But if you are not dealing with this issue as well and helping create support networks for folks to feel safe using their voice, we are not going to have representative democracies because they're going to opt out. They already are. They're saying, oh, yeah. I don't need this. I don't want to be part of this. I don't have to, you know, why would I put myself out like that? And that's a problem. That is, Huge you know, problem. again, it's, it's again, something that we have to deal with. And I'm just going to keep doing everything I can with the time that I have within this role to keep raising awareness of it and keep making people pay attention. Yeah, it's so crucial. And I'm curious too, from like a, a process standpoint, like to come to solution, especially in this role specifically, yeah. because, you know, is it you kind of gathering information globally to then implement things domestically? Or is it like, how how does that work in terms of like getting to the solution and, and in terms of like the actual process of it with this role? Yeah. So a big part of our role is basically like convening power as well and bringing people together and then shining lights on things and issues. So what I've realized within this last year, obviously I now have met just extraordinary women who've gone through oftentimes similar things that either I went through or that others around the globe have gone through on the topic and focusing on bringing them together to share those stories and highlight those stories. Um, it, the way the State Department works domestically I, you know, everything we do because of just the way that laws are written and funding is actually allocated. The State Department, if they do anything domestically, if I do anything domestically, it has to do, it has to relate back to international and foreign mm -hmm. relations, if that makes sense. Okay. And so yeah. that's really my engagement on the domestic side. So a lot of it is working in like a multilateral way about these issues and building relationships and making sure we are working together. So not just the U.S., but other countries as well to push this issue and topic. Totally. I'm curious about like that reception from like other countries. Like what has that dynamic been like? You know, has there been pushback from certain countries? Has there been more open arms? Like what does that dynamic look like? Well, I'm I'm usually... Working with, I mean, the young people who are living it, right? Although there definitely have been some electeds as well, or some other like youth ministers or youth ambassadors that I've talked to who are going through it. And then also, like, for example, the EU has been doing a lot in this space. So sometimes it's listening and learning about what they're doing or like even example again Luxembourg has been doing a lot in this space on education even within their their schools to talk about this and hotlines that type of stuff so it's also kind of gathering what is working what are folks doing what's not working what have people tried and so it's a lot of trying not to reinvent the wheel at the same time too and what's not Let's not try something that's not working. Let's try new things. And I mean, everyone is always really interested in that. I mean, obviously, every country is different, but this is an issue happening everywhere. And if you're a leader who cares about representative democracy and actually having all parts of your democracy being heard, this is an issue you need to care about because it's not going away. And in fact, it's getting worse. Yeah. Definitely. 
well, what is something that you've been seeing that is making you more hopeful, maybe excited for the future of some of this work to, you know, kind of bring a full circle on it on a positive note? Yeah. So I know, yes, we talked a lot about the online harassment piece, which ends, which is tough, right? And a lot, I mean, the reality is there's a lot of tough, tough days and, you know, things that are not always the easiest, but important to talk about. But then there's mm-hmm. also, in nearly every single day, there's so much hope. And one of the moments I had that really opened my eyes and gave me hope um, to last a lifetime <laughs> was I was in Indonesia back May of last year. And it was in, for our, we have Young Southeast Asia Leaders Initiative. So it's YC Lee. We have Y programs all around the globe. So that are regional and help again, talk to folk, talk to young people who are on the ground, who are involved in whether it's climate, whether it's in entrepreneurship, whether it's in social impact. I mean, so many different things. And then there's different leadership programs. This one was based on like, um, creative solutions around sustainability and then also resiliency for the young women. And it was very specific on young women. Well, as we were going, I remember looking at the schedule. I get a schedule ahead of time and I'm in my office before I go and I see that there's a thing on a Friday that's a mangrove cleanup. And it's like, that's, that's great. You know, it's because it had, you know, it was climate related, but also it was service-oriented and something that I was really excited to get to do. But I Google it. I Google this place that's putting it on. And I'm seeing photos where people are, like, chest high in water and um, doing the cleanup and waiters and things. And I remember asking my team, I was like, is this what we're doing? I mean, like, I, I, I'm fine with my fittings, but uh, I just want to make sure I bring the right clothes and shoes. And so they're like, no, 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 that's not, that's not exactly like what it is. It's not, you're not getting in the, I was like, oh, okay, okay. I'll leave my waiters at home. That's fine. So I, we get there on, so I spent the week with all these extraordinary young women. And then we get there on that Friday. And the first thing that is said as we get to the mangrove is, all right, everybody, it's high tide. I went, whoa. Oh boy. And needed the waiters. Yeah. So we're getting boots. We have the gloves. I thought, oh my gosh. And they're like, no, no, like, don't worry. You can, you know, we're going to walk through the mangrove. And then there's like a beach area that has, like, that'll be the cleanup area. And I was like, okay. Like, I mean, like, I'm game for whatever, but all right. And off we go. And we start walking through this mangrove. And there's like there's trash in the water and we're walking by it and the girls see it and instead of just continuing to walk to the beach or area that they wouldn't have to get in the water the girls start getting in the water and mm-hmm. i'm watching them go and i'm going oh my gosh oh my gosh and some are out like chest high some are waist high some are you know like to their boots and then like all of a sudden i'm realizing oh like Nobody's telling anybody what to do. There is no mm-hmm. no organization in a sense that was like set up to do this. Because again, we were yeah. supposed to keep going. And yet everybody found their place. And it was just like, 
it hit me that that's what real action really is and real change really is. Like if you're able to be the one going out waist deep in the water, go do that. If you're the one who's able to, you know, be in the middle and bring things together, you do that. If you're the one who's able to tie the bags and hand them back down, every single thing mattered. You couldn't have done one without the other. And it just happened. But then again, I like, I think about the first moments I saw the girls start to get in and I go, Oh my gosh, there were two thoughts in my head. One was, oh, are there snakes? (laughs) Which I did find out there were, but um, no one saw any. But the second thought was, these girls are going to change the damn world. Mm -hmm. And that's truly what I believe. They're, you know, not afraid to do the work. And that's what I find from young people. And the thing is that like through your life, your role is going to change, right? You might be out in that front line if that's what you're able to do right now. But then also that might shift back to being in the organizational piece of it. And just, I I would just encourage every young person to think about what they can give um, and where they can give with where they're at right now in their life and be open to that shifting and changing throughout. And just, again, I think that's where real change, real action happens. And I got to watch that play out in real time and be part of it. And it was, again, one of the most memorable things um, I've ever seen and um, gotten to, again, have hope that has led me um, through all of the hard stuff within the role. It's that stuff that keeps me going and makes me continue to push everything I've got to make sure that we are kind of making that space in that way for young people to be heard, to be part of the change because they have some of the best ideas out there and they're the ones who like to do the hard work. Totally. And jump in with the snakes, you know, like, yeah, that's like kind of, you know, a metaphor of like our current status quo. So, yeah, you know, although reptiles. I will tell you. So one other fun story about the main row, we were out there and the girls were also having fun. I mean, we were like, First of all, everyone looked fabulous. Like they had all like done their hair and makeup. And so that's <laughs> they look so fabulous. They've got like fancy sunglasses on. They're in they're in this mangrove. And the one girl started talking about how she's like, I'm in this, like all of my exes are around me. And we we're like, what? And she was referring to the trash as like, like her exes were trash. And so at some point, we started singing Taylor's lips, We Are Never Getting Back Together. And it was, so here I am in Indonesia with all these extraordinary young women, and we are all, you know, in different languages, all this stuff, and we are all singing Taylor's lips, We Are Never Getting Back Together. And it was one of those cool moments where you're just like, yeah, this is, this is why we do some of this work, right? And the diplomacy piece is so important. The building relationships piece is so important. If we can sometimes just get out of the way and make those authentic relationships and moments, I mean, the world would be a lot better place. If that doesn't prove that Taylor Swift is bigger than Travis Kelsey, I don't know it is. Um, <laughs> Literally but, put him on the map. Like, I mean, you know, but to close it out for people listening that want to get involved that are like, you know what, like this could be a track for me. This is something that like I could really see for my future in some capacity. What do you recommend? Where should people look to? Yeah. So obviously you can go to our website at state, which is youth.state.gov or sorry, youth. Sorry, I should be able to give that to you. Yeah, you're good. (laughs) We'll put it in the description of the episode. So don't worry. (laughs) I'm like, I don't, I think I'm giving you my email, but (laughs) 
But basically, you can Google global youth issues at state and you will find so many opportunities to be involved. And there are things like our exchange program. So like CBYX is one of them. And that's one where it's actually an exchange program with Germany. And you don't like it's not a you don't have to be in like a four year college to be part of an exchange program. CBYX says actually like if you're in agriculture, you're like going into culinary or different things, right? Um, you can also apply and be part of it, which is really cool because you're like a citizen diplomat, basically. So that's cool. You could do that. Um, and then there's just so many other exchange programs that are all listed. And then beyond that, you can look into internship opportunities, which again, are all listed. And then there are other things outside of state. If you're young and you care about international relations or building those relationships or advocating on a global scale for climate, for example, there's things like Elcoy, which those are young leaders that I got to work with at COP, which is, and they were young Americans. And then also the UN has, it's like the, the U.S. Association of like the United Nations had, or the the US UN has a whole space dedicated to young people and a whole program dedicated to young Americans advocating um, for the UN, why it matters, that type of thing, but also even talking to congressional representatives about why it matters, having their voices heard on an international level as well. So there's so many different opportunities. So I really, really encourage you to check that out. There's also a great, so within that program, there's a UN, USA youth observer. So they're really awesome. I encourage you to check that out as well. We can send over links and all that stuff. Great things that you could follow and different pages you could follow to start kind of dipping your toe into it and seeing if this is something you might be interested in and then taking advantage of those opportunities. I mean, it's always worth trying and we really, 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 really do need you. Yes, that is all very exciting. And so is this episode. And we are very grateful to have you on and run through all this with us. I think it's one of our only, if not few, that really focus on this international lens. So it's very much appreciated and we appreciate your time. Thank you. No, thank you all. I think you're really wonderful and really appreciate you for everything that you do and talk about. And yeah, I just thank you. I, I, I love the the following that you gathered and i can't wait to to see if we get some more young diplomats i, I mean i'll never you know be able to inspire as many as mary kate and ashley apparently did but <laughs> i hope through this episode we get a couple a thousand yeah a sound off in the comments if mary kate and ashley inspired some career choice for you i'm very curious of the results on that one yeah Having a versatile, high-quality piece of clothing feels great, but having a whole closet full of favorites feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code S-T-A-P-L-E-2-0.